Um, we're taking a little break from the Gospel of John, and uh, I, really, my plan was just to do it one week, but then as I was working on this, I was thinking I'm, we might do it for a few more. Um, and what, what, ins- what inspired me was something that Dr. Young was talking about with our staff, which is uh, how critical it is for the church of God to be in awe of God. And that's one of our concerns as a staff is that, um, that we may not be in awe of God. You know, we get used to these familiar terms, these redemptive terms, and we get used to the scriptures. We get used to uh, songs with great depth. And um, we need, awe, awe is our guide. And you know, it's something we actually studied in the Gospel of John uh, a couple months ago. Um, but, but awe is important. Anyway, so that's what led me to uh, Psalm 33. Uh, Let's go to it together. This is God's word, Psalm 33, starting in verse 1. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with Loud shouts, for the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world Stand in awe of him, for he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth, he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him on those who hope on his steadfast love, in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, one of my uh, favorite movies is It's a Wonderful Life, and uh, does anybody like that movie or love that movie? Um, it's a kind of a cool Christmas movie, uh, but also as a man, it's, a, it's quite a movie as a man to relate to George Bailey and to kind of feel what he's, just the weight of a family, and oh, and what about Mary, you know, holds it all together and everything. It's just a great movie. Uh, she's like the steady, she's the steady figure in the whole thing. Um, but all to say, 
There's that scene kind of toward the beginning where George Bailey meets Mary, and, uh, and they see each other. They haven't seen each other for a long time, and they're at that high school dance thing, and there's a pool uh, underneath the gym floor where they're dancing, and there's a switch that opens up the gym floor to the pool. And uh, at some point, somebody flips a switch, and it opens up, and George and Mary are dancing, and they get closer to the edge. They don't know they're near the pool, and they start to keep on dancing. They get closer to the edge. They don't know they're near the pool, and finally, they flop in, and uh, you know what everybody does. They start seeing them in there, and uh, they start going, hey, that's a hilarious situation, and they all start jumping in. And even like the principal or the big guy or the chancellor or whoever this guy is, uh, he ends up jumping in too, because it's just so inviting Uh, It seems like the only logical thing to do. Well, I start that way. Um, Maybe that's not the best illustration in the whole world, but um, I look at this psalm and I look at um, this this expression, praise befits the upright. You know, it's the only logical thing to do, friend. We who have tasted of grace, it's the only logical thing to do. It befits the upright because this God is so inviting in his glory. Uh, that that uh, it befits us to acknowledge him, acknowledge what he's done, acknowledge the way he's behaved, um, acknowledge our safety in him. Um, and um, so, so that's why I begin this way. Now, this psalm is unique in a number of ways. First off, um, it's the first time in the Psalter, that's a fancy church word for the Psalms, it's the first time in the Psalms that um, musical instruments are mentioned precisely which is kind of interesting, isn't it, Lee? I thought about you. Um, well, let me tell you, um, if you believe the Bible and uh, you want to get a picture of God's worshiping people, well, this is a good spot to see that there, uh, there is a lyre mentioned, L-Y-R-E, uh, a harp of 10 strings, um, play skillfully on the strings. This is, a, this is God's people worshiping with instrumentation. And by the way, it's loud. It's loud instrumentation. It's loud worship. It's exuberant worship. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've, I've heard so many preachers over the years, and you probably have too, and when you, when, you, when you read these things, you go, give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Oh, it's some wonderful instrument, some string that's not a guitar. <laughs> not a guitar. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Uh, the, the ten strings, a harp of ten strings, a harp, not a guitar. It's not these stupid guitars. Well, you know what? Anywhere there are resonating strings, there has to be a box. The strings have to be near a box, otherwise you can't hear the strings. So whether they had a cigar box back then or um, what, the, what the instrument looked like, they were playing with stringed instruments. Isn't that interesting? Just like we do today, we play with stringed instruments, uh, um, uh, 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 an example from God's Word. Well, uh, and so if you come from a, a church denomination, as Lee did, Lee and... Uh, I'm sorry, Tracy did uh, years ago. Um, This has got to be pretty refreshing. And it's pretty cool that you play a stringed instrument. I mean, it's just really poetic and groovy. But anyway, so that's one way this this psalm is unique. First time instruments are mentioned. Uh, Second thing is this. This psalm, Psalm 33, is in the middle of a big chunk of psalms written by David. I mean, if you look at the superscription of psalms that come before it, it's, you know, a psalm of David, a psalm of David, of David, of David, of David, a psalm of David, um, a dedication of the temple uh, to the choir master, a masculine of David. And all of a sudden you get to verse uh, chapter 33 and there's no of David in there. So did David write it or did not David not write it? Uh, why is that where it is? Um, well, what, what makes it curious is um, 
some people think that uh, chapters 32 and 33, Psalm 32 and 33, were one psalm at a point, uh, packages one psalm. Uh, if you look at the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, they put them together. If you look at the Vulgate, which is the Latin version of the uh, Old Testament, the Hebrew Old Testament, they put them together. There are eight known Hebrew manuscripts that put them together. However, um, and, and listen, there's a definite ring too. If you look at uh, the last verse of chapter 32, look, look at, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. I mean, you see that it shares, shares terminology as, as, as verse one and 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous, praise befits the upright. I mean, it shares language. And so people go, oh, they have to have been put together um, and so on. Um, yet, the tone of the Psalms is, uh, is very different, the tone of the two Psalms. And so uh, the result, what's the answer? The, the answer is it's inconclusive. Um, but it is at least interesting to note that, that, there's, um, that there's a lot of thought that, uh, around these things. But the, the, the point is very clear, however, and this is where we get our main idea. The point is very clear. All created things are summoned to give God glory. The first song we sing out there this morning is, All People That On Earth Do Dwell. It's, it's, it's basically the saints saying, hey, everybody, join us. All of creation is summoned to give God glory, um, and, and you know, we're the cheerleaders. And so whether Psalm 32 and 33 are one psalm or not, the same poet or not, the logic is the same. Um, in other words, um, if you look at verse, uh, chapter 32, verse 1, it says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity. If you're that person, doesn't it befit you to praise God? It's, it's only logical that uh, you would shout for joy in the Lord, oh, you righteous. Um, we, we, we then long to um, join together in worship, and we, we want to summon all of creation to join us. Um, well, in, in long form, um, as we shall soon see, um, even that which is resistant gives God's glory. Um, but for us, our great desire is that all creation would join us. All right, so let's go to our first point of, oops, hello, of four. Um, called to worship. Verse one, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Did you notice that the psalm starts with shout? And did you notice that the end of that first passage, this call to worship, Ends with this, sing to him a new song, play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Now, I don't know how you want to interpret the word shout, but that's how I do it. And, uh, you know, I, I went to a, a Presbyterian worship leader conference up in St. Louis a number of years ago, and I, I love quoting this because it, I find it to be so ridiculous. Um, they were up there going, oh, Lord. I'm not, I'm not making fun of somebody praying, but I, I am making fun of what he's saying. Oh, Lord, we lift up our hands to you in our hearts. Well, I'm like, well, we got these, though. <laughs> oh, Lord, we shout for joy in our hearts. And, of course, it's Presbyterian, so after every song, it's like, sit down, get your heart rate still. We don't want any kind of, like, uh, mayhem. Shh. 
you know, well, that's ridiculous. Ridiculous. We're to shout for joy in the Lord. Shout. They, it's, it's, it's exuberant, loud shouts. I'd say that the psalm gets off to a bang right away. Hey, does anybody have um, a publisher's note? You know, you have uh, the superscription is the tiny stuff that you'll see of David, a masculine of David. That's actually the scriptures. Did you know that? The superscription is the scriptures. It's inspired, it's inspired word of God. But these things, these, these things in big, uh, heavy type at, at the beginning of a chapter, those are publisher's notes. Who's got a publisher's note? What's it say? Oh, what about that? God, what, what version do you have? What about it? What, who, what else? What do you have? Isn't that interesting? Two very different things. I have the steadfast love of the Lord. Um, and listen, I think that runs throughout the whole thing. Um, chapter 32, verse 10, it says, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Uh, you also have it in verse 5 of our, of our chapter, um, of our psalm. Uh, God loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Um, you've got it again in verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. And at the end of the whole chapter, it says, let your steadfast love, O Lord, chesed, be upon us even as we hope in you. Uh, That um, uh, we, his children, can hook our hope on. Uh, What is it but a celebration of the very person of God, the steadfast love of the Lord? What is it but a celebration of who he is? Uh, the way he behaves, uh, his nature. What is it but a rehearsal? What is it but a personal adoration of him? What is it uh, but a collective adoration of the very person of God, personally and collected? Um, How about this? Is God righteous? Uh, You better believe it. Um, He loves righteousness and justice, it says in verse 5. And just look at the way he's behaved. It says that he's been kind to the earth, He's been gracious to the undeserving. It says that he's been patient with the exasperating uh, of whom I am chief. Um, And he's faithful to his promises to his own people. Uh, It says in verse 4 that all his work is done in faithfulness. That's another attribute. That's another aspect. I shouldn't say aspect. I would say that's another attribute um, of, of God's nature, that all his work is done in faithfulness. He's faithful to himself at all times, which means if he's made a promise to you, then he's got to be faithful to the promise, else he's, can't, else he's not faithful to himself anymore. So he's faithful in all he does, and all to say, friends, there's a whole lot here for people to shout about. I mean, verses uh, 1, 2, and 3 are a call to worship, but there's a reason that we worship, and it is the nature of this God. All right, so apply, applying this to our lives. Um, in verse 33, um, or excuse me, in, excuse me, in, in, verse, in verse 1, it says, praise befits the upright. And I'll, I'll, I'll add um, that the inverse of that is true. I think for the upright who have been blessed, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity... If your heart's not full of praise over that, there's something wrong with you. If your heart isn't happy over that news, um, boy, you need to examine your soul uh, and see your relationship to this God. Um, 
And, and maybe it's just having been around church life for a long time. You know, another thing that we talk about in staff meeting is how, um, how burdened we are for senior adult ministry. Um, not only is there a large uh, hunk of population moving to senior adult ministry, it's not just three or four grannies anymore. It's like a lot of baby boomers are heading that way and over 55 and so on. Um, and, uh, you know... It's scary up there, isn't it? It's scary. Uh, and you know what else is scary? Um, gaining life experience and having been around the church for a very long time, uh, and then it gets a little boring, and um, you kind of you become absent and you disappear. I'll give you an example. I, I, could, I could point to a million examples, not a million, but uh, 14 examples, um, of people who... Um, they're young, they're 21, they're floundering around, and, um, you know, they've gone to college, they've made some boo-boos, and uh, then they kind of simmer down, and they're still making unwise decisions, and then they meet a girl, or she meets a guy, and uh, they get together as a couple, and uh, they get married, and they start, they still sleep in, and they do stupid things, but... um, Eventually, they crank out a kid. The kid's cute crawling around, and when the kid's two or three or four, they go, you know what? We really better buckle down. And so when they're 29 or 30 or however old they are now, 47, um, they, they finally, whenever they have their first baby now, uh, they finally go, let's get back in church. So they get to church, and they crank out two or three more kids, and um, they're super involved, and they're going on things, and they're teaching, and they're going to youth trips, and they're riding on the bus thing, and then the kids go to college, they pay for the college, the kids go through college, the kids leave college, and finally they go, cash, awesome. These idiots are finally out of our uh, hair until they do stupid things and come back when they're 34, but they'll be back. But, um, for, but for now, it's like, oh man, this is awesome. And then you know what happens? They, they turn irresponsible again. I'm serious. I'm serious. Uh, it, we're, our staff is burdened over that. They turn irresponsible, and they start uh, becoming absent, and they float in and out, and you don't know where they are, and they're not, they're not integrated into church life anymore. Very dangerous, friends. Let me say, praise befits the upright. And if you want a barometer as to the health of your soul, ask yourself, am I, am I drawn toward the collective worship of God's people, not just in a worship service, but as a church body, am I drawn toward the church, the eagerly worshiping church, or am I resistant to the eagerly worshiping church? It, it shines a real clear spotlight um, on, on, on your soul. You know, this is, this is not a... I'm not, I'm not accusing anybody, but uh, I, I just... There's one moment that just stands sharply in my mind. It just was a, a thing. A guy yawned. It's no big deal. Somebody yawned. It happens all the time. I mean, when, peop- when all these people are facing this way, eventually people are going to have wide gaping yawns. But I just remember being out there a couple years ago, and I was singing, um, we were singing Jesus, Thank You. And I was going, uh, the mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend. The agonies of Calvary You, the perfect Holy One, crushed your son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me. And I'm out there, you know, and I'm kind of a sensitive uh, guy, and I'm I'm overcome with that, that content. And I am trembling, and my voice is trembling, and tears are streaming down my face. 
and I open up my eyes, and there's a guy right about over there, and he's just standing there going, <laughs> now, I'm not saying he's wicked. I'm saying he's tired. Uh, there's, everybody yawns. Everybody yawns. There's nothing, there's nothing evil about being tired and yawning. But I'm just saying the juxtaposition of that has, has been on my mind for two years. I mean, I will just never forget that moment. Um, so my, my advice to you, friends, and this application is going to go on for a little bit, um, be an edge-of-the-seat Christian. You remember when you were, uh, hang on a second, remember when you were um, a new Christian or maybe you came to a new church, or maybe you came to a new place in your Christian walk where God's Word became exciting to you, and uh, you sat on your chair like this, and you just, you just couldn't get enough of it, and, and, and you're just like, lay it on me, lay it on me. I just, you were an edge-of-the-seat Christian. You remember that? You're still supposed to be an edge-of-the-seat Christian. It spills, you're still supposed to be in awe. Uh, you're not supposed to be, eh, eh, what's the time is it again? You're supposed to be engaged thinking, what does God have for me in his word? Uh, You know, there's been much puzzling over verse 3, sing to him a new song. And I think people kind of romanticize that, and they think, what does a new song mean? And is it it charismatic? Is it, what does it mean to sing to him a new song? You know what I think it means simply? I mean, we could could talk about it. You could, I could, I could point you to a bunch of stuff you could see, but rather than drudge through a bunch of opinions, most of which are kooky, I would say singing to him a new song is our experiencing in a profound way God's grace. God's grace is fresh to us because he dealt with us in a certain situation. And that produces a new song. Um, we get a, a deeper understanding of his person through his word, uh, through the way he's uh, responded to us in our prayers. And a new song comes. Um, there's a deeper uh, knowledge of the gospel of grace and, and his truth, and, and it wells up inside of us a new song of adoration and thanks. You know, I think about the angels in Isaiah 6, when in Isaiah's vision, and they behold God in his glory, and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. I mean, it rings a lot like this. But, but isn't it amazing? They say over and over and over, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then they observe him again, and they say, oh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, what's wrong with God? Did he, does he need some little recording going on just to stroke his ego all the time? Or do we have an infinite God who's infinitely holy and infinitely revealing that holiness? And the, the creatures around his throne see his holiness revealed and they go, oh, that's who he is. Holy, holy, holy is he. And he, he reveals himself again, infinite in his holiness. He reveals himself and they go, oh, that's holy, holy, holy. I'm telling you, that's the way it is with us. You know, it's interesting. Um, you, you, you would think that um, hearing the gospel proclaimed in every single song and hearing the gospel proclaimed in every single sermon would become boring. You would think, wouldn't you? 
Isn't the opposite true? If you go to a church and you don't hear the gospel proclaimed in song, you go, ugh, yikes. I don't like visiting Granny's church. Bad. Or if the preacher never touches on the gospel and you go, what are they, in, what are they doing? Why are the doors thrown open? I mean, isn't it interesting? You would think you would get tired of the gospel message, but it's the inverse. You know why? Because it's the infinite God behind it. What I'm saying to you is um, be an edge of the seat Christian. Always be after the gospel and its expression. And remember that praise befits the upright. And if your heart doesn't well up in praise, then you should examine it because it's normal behavior and uh, if, if, it, if your heart doesn't well up in praise and adoration and gratitude, that's abnormal behavior. Uh, you can bank on that. All right, second point. We've got to step on the gas. Um, the Lord speaks. Notice it says in verse 4, the word of the Lord is upright. All his work is done in faithfulness. How about verse 6? Uh, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all their host. How about this, verse 9? He spoke, it came to be. He commanded, it stood firm. You know, one of the most significant things about Jesus Christ being uh, the word of God and the word who was with God, the word who was and is God, is that God's word is who he is. What God says is who he is. Who he is is his word. So true to flawlessness is God, that everything he says is just. Everything he does is his own perfect self-expression. So what God says is who he is. And not only that, uh, his divine word speaks to his power. He speaks and it is. He speaks, it comes to be. He commands and it stands firm. You know, um, Superman used to be exciting. I think you know that I have uh, superhero burnout. I'm tired of superheroes. In fact, honestly, I'm disappointed in them. Uh, Superman used to be awesome. You know why? He stops a speeding bullet, jump over a building, fly, stop a, locomo- like a locomotive like that was the most powerful thing back then, a locomotive. Wow. Nobody even knows what a locomotive is anymore. But, um, but now... He doesn't really have all the power, does he? He's got some power. And uh, all these other superpowers have, the superheroes have some power. They don't have all the power. You know, Superman used to come in and save the day. Kryptonite was the only thing that could beat him. But now he's got all these other superpower people, and they're, now they're fighting each other. Isn't that sad? Now they're petty, and now they're duking it out, and they're fighting each other. And the reason they're fighting each other is they only have some power. They don't have all the power. Nobody saves the day anymore. They they only have some power. Well, you know, um, God's is a consummate power. That means it is a perfect power. It's an absolute power. It's a comprehensive power. It's a supreme power. God rules by divine fiat. Verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth and all his, his, those, the, their hosts. It's divine fiat. He says it and is, it is. He desires it and it happens. That's called having all the power. Now, application for your life is this. Do you think about that in terms of his love for you? God's got all the power. 
consummate power. He desires it to be, and it is. Well, he loves you with an everlasting love. Do you feel safe in that love? You should. He's got all the power. He's got all the ability within his own nature, and he's perfect in his nature. You should feel secure. How about his ability to help you? Yeah, I know life is hard and scary and tough. I just walked down the hall with somebody today, and we were talking about how scary life is. Scary, scary, scary. But does God have the ability to help you? You better, you better believe he does. He rules by divine fiat. Um, how about this? His promise to never leave you without himself, that he's going to work all things together for your good. Hard to see it in the moment, I know. But can he, can he be trusted? Absolutely. He's got all the power. He, he, he desires it, and it, and it, and it is. Uh, and you can rest in that, dear Christian. All right, our next point. The Lord sees, verses 13 through 15. Um, it says, the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. Um, from where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth, he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. Now, that is both good news and bad news. It's uh, bad news. It's scary news if you're uncertain about your relationship with God eternally. Uh, friend, he uh, observes all things. Uh, that just doesn't mean the outward stuff. It means the inward stuff. He sees everything. Um, verse 13, the, look, the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. That doesn't mean that he sees uh, a sea of people from far away or a bunch of ants from a tall building. No, he sees everything. He um, made and manages every complexity in the human body. He sees it all. He holds it all together. He knits you together in your mother's womb and he keeps you alive on this earth. He sees it all. As creator, he knows every single minute and private thing you ever think or, or want. He sees it all. He sees every motive, heart and deed. Um, but, and so that, that's scary if you don't know what your relationship is with this God. But if you do know what your relationship with is with this God, if you're the upright and praise is befitting and your soul is ignited, well, um, pretty good news. Uh, big difference between, um, between that and the other. So to apply this to your life, um, if, if you're a searching person and you're going, I don't know about this God, I don't know about the Savior, I don't know where I stand eternally with this God, well, let me just tell you, um, sin, uh, sin is more than just being disappointed in the consequences of your bad choices. Um, we all make bad choices, unwise, wise, shameful or no, um, and it, it bums us out because we have to face the consequences. Sin is more than just that. Sin is, is personally grieving uh, God, your maker. Um, you know, b- back in our passage here, it says um, at the beginning, uh, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Uh, it's, it's befitting uh, to, to praise him. Why is it befitting uh, for the upright to praise him? It's befitting because God is deserving all of the praise, uh, deserving of all of the praise. Um, Sin is more than, you know, for the, for the Christian, sin is more than just, oh, dang it, I blew it, I got to do better. Sin's more than that. Sin is your heart in a knot over 
robbing God of glory. Isn't it true? You go, Lord, I've, I've stolen glory. I've robbed you of what you deserve, which is perfect obedience. That, that's the grief of, of sin. That's, that's a dividing line between a Christian or not. And so if you're a person who doesn't know where you stand with the, with the Lord, ask yourself uh, what you consider sin to be. Ask yourself where you stand eternally with this God. Are you, are you in a right relationship with him? Are you in an open relationship, a clear relationship where you know your sin is forgiven? If not, receive the Savior. He lived the perfect human life. You didn't, but he did in every single circumstance. He lived that perfect life, and he was thereby eligible to lay it down on the cross and say, punish me instead of that guy. That's the gospel message, that somebody took your place and then gave his innocence and righteousness to you in a court of law. God's court. Uh, Last point, joined in worship. The first three verses of the psalm is a call to worship. It's basically, hey, y'all, do this. You know, it's befitting for people to praise him, shout for joy, give thanks. Uh, It goes on to say, make melody, sing to him a new song, make loud shouts. It's saying, hey, it's a call to worship. Come on, y'all, let's do this stuff. Here you have at the end of the psalm three more verses, and it's the body in worshiping activity. Our soul waits for the Lord. We're doing it. He's our help and our shield. We're proclaiming it. Our heart is glad in him. We're rejoicing currently. We trust in his holy name. We're doing it. Um, And notice too, uh, I I love in verse 21 too, I don't know what other translations said. I I meant to look this up. Um, Verse 21, for our heart is glad in him. I mean, you would think that it would say our hearts are glad in him. It says our heart is glad in him. I think that speaks to the, the corporate nature of uh, this, this, this gathered people. I may be wrong, but, I, I, uh, but notice how collective it is. Our soul waits for the Lord. He's our help, our shield. Our heart is glad in him. We trust his holy name. Does it sound like an isolated Christian off in a cabin somewhere or a monk in a monastery? No. It is normal for God's people to gather and praise him. It is normal behavior. You know, uh, I'm the worship leader at your church, and um, there's confusion all the time because um, uh, over, over worship and other activities, it's like, well, we have youth ministry, which is very important. We have senior adult ministry, which is very important. We have a lettuce ministry, which is very important. And we have this ministry and this ministry and this ministry and music ministry. And all those ministries are very important. And everybody has a minister over the ministries, and uh, they're all just so important for the church. And they are, they are. But the worship part, it's, it's, not, it's not just part of a collection of, of interests. You see that it's hardwired into God's plan for us. It is befitting for the upright to praise him. It's not just some other little function of the church. And I'm not just saying it because I'm the worship leader and I want my ministry to be successful. I'm telling you, what I know to be true is a Bible teacher This stuff, this gathered worship, this gathered sitting under God's word, this gathered singing, this gathered rejoicing, not an option. Not an option. It's normal behavior for the upright to praise him. Uh, It's not like other activities um, in the church. It's not just the the horseback riding motorcycle club. Um, All right, I close with this. It's from a song that we sing. 
And uh, I'm, it's, it's, um, it's the last three verses of our passage. Uh, I'm going to sing it for you. Let me get my lyrics. Oh, my soul is waiting on you. God, my help and sanctuary. And I rejoice in who you are. For I know your name is holy. Let your faithful love rest on me. Even as I'm resting upon you. Um, you know where you get your worship songs from? It's not from sitting with a, a guitar in your bedroom going, ying, ying, ying. I'm just gonna, we're just gonna, that's what you do. Um, uh, it is to our greatest glory to summon um, all things to glory in God. Um, worship is anchored in the scriptures. It is to come gushing out of the scriptures, and it, to, it is to be exuberantly done by the, by the righteous. It is befitting for him, uh, uh, us to praise him. And so I would say to you, as we rejoice in who God is, as we live on this uh, scary pilgrimage in this, uh, this world that is not our home, um, might a weary world wander in here and see our activity and go, Wow. God is truly among them. Righteous Father, we are in awe of you and pray that you will make us in awe of you afresh. Uh, Cause us to be drawn to the fellowship of the saints. Cause us to um, be drawn to your word, to be drawn to fellowship with you in prayer. Cause us to enjoy the means of grace that is the beautiful church you're eagerly worshiping people. Uh, it is befitting for the upright to praise you, so might we do it well. Might we, might we learn you more intimately. Might you reveal yourself again and again and again and give us the grace to see it and be exuberant over it. Might we lead our church. Might we lead our families in right behavior. It is befitting for the upright to praise you, and we do so in Jesus' name only. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate you.